Hey, I'm Edward Schuler, and this is Bulls Gold on Nothing But Net Radio, part of Dash Radio. As always, joined by Salim Sudawala. Salim, how's it going today, man? Uh, today's not bad. Uh, tonight was kind of rough watching the end of that game, but uh, I guess we'll talk about that in a little bit. <laughs> yeah, we, we got a lot to break down. Uh, we're recording just after the Bulls 129 to 128 loss of the Golden State Warriors in a heartbreaker uh yeah damian lee i don't think anyone had damian lee hitting a game winner in this uh as the uh as the fate of this game but here we are and joining us to break down this game and of course the past two games it 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 hasn't really been a very pretty ride so far is will gottlieb will thanks for joining us man thanks for having me on guys it's it's good to be back yeah, yeah, it's been a little bit since we had you on. That's a thing we had. Uh, we had you on for like summer league. Yeah, uh, yeah. Talking. yeah, it's it's been a while, but uh, if it was summer league, at least we've got some real Bulls games to talk about. It feels like it, it's kind of unbelievable to me that the season has actually started again. Yeah. It still feels kind of like preseason the way that these guys are playing. But here we are, zero and three. <laughs> yeah, it's, I think it's it's a new year, same Bulls. That's that's what it is. 0-3 start. Exactly. And we were really excited. I mean, I, I think the I think the assignment excitement has definitely worn off by now. Wednesday, everyone was really pumped to see how this team would look with new coaching and in typical Bulls fashion, whenever there are whenever there's a lot of excitement and expectations, everything just plummets and we get two blowouts to start the season, and then we get this game winner against us in the third game. So it, there's, there's a lot to break down, Will, but let's let's just get to some like general takeaways that you've had from the first three games, and then we'll get into the Warriors game a little bit after that. So what have you noticed about this team that's been really concerning? Of course, they, they've been just getting killed. The effort is bad, and there's there's possible fit issues there's definitely talent issues that much we know but what have been the things that you've noticed in these first three games so far that have been concerning to you yeah five days into the season and we're already packing it in here but uh i mean you you named it right it's it's a whole bunch of stuff uh offensively you know it doesn't really seem like they've established an identity um there's some weird continuity issues with kobe and zach it seems to me, I think Lowry and, and Wendell both played well tonight against the Warriors, um, but have been pretty disappointing in, in the two games leading up to tonight. Um, defensively has just been a complete disaster um, for all the, you know, shit for, excuse me, I'm not sure if you guys are sworn on this podcast, but uh, <laughs> all for, for all the shit that's, that's gone on with the, the boiling and the blitzing and all that, like at least they had an identity at least they were trying to take something away. And I'm not saying I miss Boylan by any means, but the defense has really suffered. And I think that's because, you know, they're not really taking anything away. They're giving up shots at the rim. They're giving up threes. Um, I think their, their help side, uh, weak side defense is really, really poor. There's just no communication. And like you said, um, the effort and the like, you know, just like the way that these guys look while they're playing, it's just really sad to me. And coming off of a, a shortened season last year and guys who wanted to make it into the bubble and play at a high level uh, among those teams for, for you to come out this flat, um, 
with this little effort and energy and attention to detail is really inexcusable. Yeah. Like, like defensively you're, you're seeing definitely the big issue being with Zach and Kobe at the point of attack. They're not able to, you know, stop the ball handler. They, they're weak on fighting through the screen uh, picks. And then once the, once a ball handler gets inside, I think it turns into like either an inability to, you know, step out and, and, contest a shot or even maybe even like a trust issue with I've seen like Wendell sometimes kind of give have give like a weak effort uh Lowry's done the same thing I don't know if they just don't trust that someone will have their back uh because we've seen I know against the Hawks I was really watching a little bit of it and when the guy when the bigs were kind of stepping out we saw guy like Collins get a qu- easy dunks like on, on like alley oops and stuff like that. So I think that's one of the bigger issues with the defense. I think it's definitely the guards up front are the bigger problems. And then the bigs are having those type of issues that I just kind of, you know, went over. So th- that's been the bigger thing on offense. And I think you pointed it out too on, the, uh, sorry, on defense and you went out on offense. Yeah. With Zach and Kobe, like Kobe's like essentially right now, a lesser Zach. Yep. Uh, so that that's the problem. Like we don't really have somebody that can lead this offense and Zach and Kobe kind of just duplicate each other. And Kobe, like I said, you know, he is good at getting his own. He's good at kind of, you know, getting kind of being that microwave scorer, but he's still just not comfortable at all in any way. Kind of, you know, orchestrate any type of semblance of an offense out there. Yeah, I want to dig into what you were talking about defensively for a second because um, it is really interesting. So essentially the, what the Bulls are doing is on pick and rolls, the guard is going over the screen um, and basically with what's called lock and trail where you're basically on the ball handler's hip or his backside um, as he comes off the screen. And so the big man is basically guarding two-on-one, right? He's guarding the ball handler in front of him and also the roll man or the pop man. Um, and so basically the, the point guard, if he's good, is going to get him to commit one way or the other. And if he passes, if the big man slides over to the, to the ball handler, he dumps it off for a dunk, uh, or, or pops it off to the shooter back at the top of the key. Um, and if he doesn't leave his man, the roll man, he takes it all the way to the basket. And that's where your rotations and your scrambling is supposed to happen. So, um, the weak side low man is supposed to step over and protect the rim. The wing side defender is supposed to drop down and split the difference between the corner and the wing shooters. And then the scrambling is supposed to take place. And basically you said it like, there's just, there's no, because the the backside uh, low man is not stepping over. It's putting Wendell in a really bad position where he has to guard two on one. And of course he's going to get killed. So uh, the help needs to be there. Um, that's especially true on the, on the pops. It's just really ugly. Um, and I, and like you said, the offense has not looked much better. Yeah. From an execution standpoint, the team is really bad, but just for me, even past just like the detailed things, what Billy Donovan said, and I think it was after the uh, Pacers uh, loss was that, a lot of the players are just internalizing issues. And when the team starts losing, like when they get on these, like when the uh, opposition gets on these like 12 0 runs or whatever, 
they're just internalizing and nobody is communicating. Nobody is trying to rally the team together. Nobody's trying to make sure that the lineup on the floor can like stay stable and trying to bounce back from it. Everyone is dealing with their own issues by themselves. And that's just a losing habit. And it, it just seems like all of these losing habits, I think even Stacey King mentioned it on one of the games, all of these losing habits are showing again and again and again. And now that, now that Jim Boylan isn't here, now that Fred Hoiberg isn't here, the players don't have that crutch anymore to be like, well, you know, coaching, rookie head coach or dumb head coach. It, it's them now. Because Billy Donovan, like we know Billy Donovan is not an elite coach, but we know Billy Donovan is at least competent. So when things like this are happening, sure, like they may, may, there may be some things you, you can point to at him, but all of this is on the players right now. And it's just like the, the things that you expect them to do just by walking into the building and punching the clock. I don't know if the clock is still there, but punching the clock, like those are the things that they have to do and they're not doing it. We saw a little bit, we saw it better in this game against Golden State, but I don't know how much of that is just because Golden State is really bad. But like, what's your just general take on just like the the intangibles, just effort, basketball IQ, just communication? Like, why aren't why aren't they doing that bare minimum? Well, I think w- with previous Billy Donovan teams, you had the leadership of Chris Paul, of Russell Westbrook. Um, dating back a few years and the bulls don't really have a guy who's both like really good on the floor and also like, uh, you know, a a model for the younger players to look up to as both a player and as a professional. And I think that, that really shines through with the starting lineup, right? You have Markinen, Williams, Carter, white Levine, Levine's oldest. He's 25. Um, none of those players have won at a high level, None of them have even played played at a high level, and so they just they seem very mentally weak to me. They like they seem like they get caught up on plays that you know on turnovers or missed shots um, or like you know offensive sets that go the wrong way, um, and they really just need to like get over it and get down the court and play defense and then come back up and do something else on the next play. Um, and I think you see a little bit more of that when the veterans come in off the bench. Today was a four-man bench unit of Sato, Temple, Otto Porter Jr., and Hutch. Um, I think, like, if it were me, I would basically swap Sadoransky in for Kobe and Otto Porter in for Markinen or Patrick Williams, whoever you, you know, prefer to come off the bench because that starting unit just doesn't have anybody who can organize things, who can set up the offense, who can, like, you know, like I said, tell people to just get back on defense. Um, and they're really struggling with that. And I'll be interested to see how they come back from uh, the Warriors lost tonight, another just like gut punch um, and see how they kind of establish themselves in the first quarter of the next game that they play. Well, I want to ask you about that. So I, I, I've seen a couple of you mention, and I'm just not, it's not a, a, a big uh, secret as far as Kobe's uh, struggles as a point guard and because we've already mentioned it a couple of times already and talking about putting Sato in there, how, how big of a difference do you think that really will make this early? Like, do you still ride it with Kobe? See if he shows any type of improvements. Um, and if you do 
put in Sato for Kobe, like, is that really going to make that big of a difference as far as the Bulls? I mean, maybe today it would because it was a pretty close possessional game, but I, I just like the first two games, there was other issues more so than just point guard play. I feel like obviously that issue was there, no doubt about it, but I feel like maybe you eke out what one or two more wins with Sato instead of Kobe and in the, in the long term of the season. And I'm not sure if that's really, you know, really in, in the right interest to maybe see if Kobe can develop at all. And I'm not saying he will, I don't know if he will, but I, I just kind of wonder about that. Yeah. I think, you know, I've heard that argument quite a lot at this point. And I think um, you can still develop coming off the bench, right? Like you, I think it actually might make more sense to have him try to run that pure point guard position against second units because the defense aren't going to be as talented um, and it just might be a little bit easier for him to like get things going against worse players. So I'm not too concerned about like where he plays or like, you know, whether or not he comes off the bench. I, I do think like they, they really should see if he can be that guy. Personally, I don't think he is. Um, and I feel like I've gotten a pretty good sense of the fact that he just like, doesn't really have that playmaking vision in his DNA, uh, which is fine. I still think they should go try it out for him. Um, but in terms of like how it affects the rest of the season and, and the rest of the team, I mean, I think Sato's off to a really good start. He didn't score the ball well today, but he had nine assists in the first, in his first game, uh, three again tonight. Um, I think he's just like much better at organizing things at, uh, at defense and understanding where to be. And I think he will basically give Lowry and Wendell a better chance at developing um, by making some of the right reads by kind of, like I said, organizing and putting them in their right spots and getting them in positions to succeed. And then maybe you pull Zach and Kobe comes in with Sato and he can kind of take a more point guard role and Sato can play off ball. So I think that three guard rotation um, could work really well. And I, and I think the more we see Kobe and Zach together, the worse it looks to me. And so um, I would rather just like, try to take one of them at a time and, and develop them as opposed to trying to do it together. Because I think we, at this point know that that doesn't really mesh that well. So we, en- we entered this season knowing that it was going to be heavy on evaluation and they took, we, we know Carnivus and Eversley took over a roster that didn't really have much flexibility to do a whole lot of things. I know people have talked about whether or not there were moves to be made at the draft and, and whatnot, but to me, I always I've been thinking that they tried to shake up the roster and people looked at them and just gave them low ball deals and it was nothing of interest. So they were just kind of faced to face with let's empower this roster. Let's see if people can improve and then let's make moves later around it. And then let's, you know, let's bring in a player like Patrick Williams to the draft who we know fits with what we're trying to do. So having said that, do you think any of the players so far, I mean, granted, the the team results have been bad, but do you think any players so far have shown signs that they can fit with what Karnishevis and Eversley want to do with this roster long term? Or do you think it's just just complete fire sale at some point? I guess, like, I just don't really know what it is that they're trying to do long term. Mm. Like, they, I mean, I think we've assumed that uh, Karnishvis wants to like run a little bit and move the ball and shoot and kind of play a more European style. 
which I would love to see, but I, I haven't really seen that. I think there's more movement this year than there was last year. Um, and if that is the style of play that he wants, I don't really think Zach or Kobe fit into that. I mean, I do think you need to have some half court scoring punch somewhere in your roster. And, and both of those guys are very talented. Um, so there's a place for them. Um, in terms of that style of play though, I'm not really sure they fit. I'm not really sure Lowry or Wendell fit at this point, although Wendell finally uh, looked competent tonight, which is a uh, really great to see um, as somebody who wants him to do well. Um, so yeah, I'm just not sure if any of these, these core guys do. I think like some of the veterans, Sato, Otto, um, Garrett Temple has been, I thought really good in, in uh, both the games that he's played. Um, so I think some of the like rounding out the roster pieces are starting to make sense to me. Um, but again, it comes down to like, was the value there on those deals? Um, probably not if they, if they didn't make any deals. Um, but I'm, I guess I'm more concerned at this point about whether their value is going up or down now, like post Boylan. Cause you know, up until tonight, Lowry and Wendell had looked really bad. Kobe is like flash flash in the pan or, um, or nothing. And so I just wonder like the longer you, like you said, Salim, like they just can't really use that crutch anymore. And so I hope that doesn't hurt their value longer term. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking at like, as far as value, you, you figure at some point AK has to treat it like house money because obviously none of these guys are his guys um, outside of Pat Williams. So, you want to get good value for for sure. You don't want to trade, you know, guys like Alari for a second round or anything crazy like that. And not saying that they should trade Larry, but just a name I'm bringing up. But at some point, if things just aren't clicking, you have to, you have to do something and, and at least shake something up in a sense and try to try to get some assets for a guy that if you're not going to bring back Larry, like I said, in the, in the off season in the long term, I don't know what, again, they said, I would think it was like a $4 million gap between what the bulls were offering and what Larry wanted. And I don't know if that's 4 million between like 20 and 16, or if it was like um, 16 and 11 or, or sorry, 16 and 12 or whatever. But at some point I think you, you do have to look at how you can kind of make, shake the roster up. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm not really sure like what the, what the moves are. And I think if they do happen mid season, it will probably be at the deadline as opposed to like after game three, even though I think some fans, uh, myself included are pretty, um, anxious to see some roster moves. Um, just as a side note, it is like totally insane for a new front office, like president of basketball operations, GM, uh, to come in, hire a new coach and keep everybody on the roster the same. Like that is just insane to me. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think they're, like you said, none of these guys were, uh, Karnasivis's guys. They will probably be moved. It's just a matter of like finding the right deal for them. Um, and yeah, I think like everything else is kind of a sunk cost, you know, like they basically have to just say, okay, Lowry isn't the, isn't a guy worth building around. We're not going to get a good, pick for him or player for him if we, if we try to trade him. So is it better to bring him back for 16 million a year or is it better to just let him walk? And honestly, I don't know the answer to that. I'm kind of leaning towards the ladder right now, but uh, maybe he starts to change my mind as the season goes on. He's played. Okay. I mean, it's 
with Markin to me, it's just I don't. I, I just don't think that he's worth it unless he's giving you almost nearly offense because he's a one position player who can't really defend either position. So yep. if, you, if, if you can't do that, then I, I just don't know how you play. And we've been talking about it since they drafted Patrick Williams, that it, it makes long-term sense that Patrick Williams is probably a four, possibly a three, but I think Patrick Williams fits the direction that you want in a modern lineup where he can guard multiple positions, athletic, Hopefully his jump shot improves, but Markin and I just don't see a long term fit. So uh, Celine mentioned four million apart. I, I my guess is I think it's like twelve to sixteen. I just don't think they value him that much. I think they just gave him a low ball number just to see where it's at because I think they plan on moving him. So it's just like okay, let's just give the lowest number possible that we think can be tradable, and we're not going to give him sixteen. But I mean, to, to his credit though, Markin has been okay and. Like on that note, you look at this this game against the Warriors, and if someone told you before the game started that Wendell, Lowry, Zach, and Kobe would all have at least twenty points, Wendell would have a double double, Zach would have thirty three seven and three, and the Bulls would shoot fifty one percent from the field. 41% from three, and it still wouldn't be enough to beat the Warriors who are just decimated with either injuries or inexperience or just bad play. <laughs> I, I just don't, I don't know. Like there, there, there are bright spots to take, take away from this game, but it's just, I don't know how much that is the Warriors suck and how much of that is legit. So we know they lost to a game winner, but what do you what do you make of this game specifically here tonight? Well, I think just to just for some like larger picture con- context, um, I think a lot of people will say like, "Oh, it was just the preseason. Oh, it was just like one game against the Hawks." Or you know, Pacers were like a four or five seed in the playoffs last year. Like they're a good team. Um, when those things start like stacking up, it's just harder and harder to like pick apart and like take the the good out of a game like tonight where like you said, Markin and Carter both played well. Obviously we know Kobe and Zach can fill it up in terms of scoring. Um, but like the Warriors are really, really bad. They got absolutely destroyed against the Bucks and the Nets, which makes sense because those are title contenders. Um, but you're talking about a team that's playing with Steph Curry and like a bunch of nobodies and like, apologies to Wiggins and Ubre, but like this team is really not good. Um, and it's like one data point to suggest that Wendell and Lowry have played well. So I'm not quite there yet in terms of like, okay, well now they're turning it around. Um, obviously you'd like to see that more than not, but, um, I'm not ready to just like totally change my mind about these two guys who have really struggled and, and the ways in which they have struggled have kind of reinforced the issues that I have with them as players. Um, so I think that's like important context, but yeah, I think, you know, a big thing for Lowry tonight was just that he made shots, right? Like he, Mm -hmm. he took a lot of the same shots that he always takes, you know, a lot of those, um, flare screens that turn into open threes. He was just making them tonight four of seven. 
Um, he had a couple of nice drives and got to the line seven times, which is actually really a big improvement for him. Um, and I think that's something that he'll really need to do, uh, you know, on that, on that level moving forward, if he wants to be a productive offensive player, um, in terms of like putting the ball in his hands and then making a decision to go at the basket instead of like freezing up if he doesn't have an open look and then getting rid of it and then restarting the whole offense. Uh, same can be said about Wendell who looked really fluid going to the basket, um, taking some dumpers with a little bit more confidence, I thought. Um, and he had eight trips to the line. So, um, solid rebounding game for him with 13. Uh, I love to see four assists. Um, I I tweeted this out and I've said it a a million times, but three turnovers for him, like I'll take the turnovers if he's trying to like feel it out and make some good passes as opposed to like being too scared to make the pass at all. I think he needs to learn how to let it fly, learn the timing of those passes because it seems like the bulls want to run some offense through him at the elbow or at the high, um, Mm -hmm. at the high wing, high post. And unless he's like trying to learn how to do that, he's just like giving it back to Zach and a dribble handoff and Zach's pulling up. And I just don't think that's the way that they want to play or that they should play. Um, so encouraging signs from both of them for sure. But, um, one game against a bad team, let's see if they can build some momentum on that. One thing I've been looking at this with the team, it's like, I feel like we really don't have a core. Like, I don't, I don't know if you can really pinpoint anyone for sure. I mean, we like Pat Williams, some things we've seen from him, but even him, we're not hundred percent sure what his long-term future is with his team. And then obviously the leftovers from Garn Pack's era, we're also still trying to figure those guys out. And the, the fear is like, are the bulls really, do they have to start back from square one? Um, that That's what makes it so hard. Cause when you look at other rebuilds with like the Grizzlies or the, the Hawks in the past years, they had their one guy that they could get okay, this guy for sure. We know we can build around this guy. And then maybe there's another piece like with the Grizzlies, they have JJJ who they can also add to John Morant uh, to build around and the bulls don't have that. So are, are you almost there or, or are you already there that you think the bulls are just really like, you know what square one, that's just, what it is, what it is. And we need to do something about that. Right. Right. ASAP. Yeah, it's tricky. I mean, I think like from a roster building perspective, in my opinion, if you like, if you don't have that one guy who can be the engine of the offense, like you just don't really have anything. Um, and so I think that makes everybody on the bulls roster look a little bit worse than they probably are. Right. Um, there's nobody that can like be the Luka Doncic on this team to like get Kobe and Zach into scoring positions where they can just focus on scoring that can set Lowry up, um, and put him in positions. Um, and same with Wendell and until they find that, I think those guys are going to flounder a little bit. Um, so let's say they, you know, keep this roster as is and somehow luck into, you know, Jalen Suggs or Cade Cunningham. I'm not the draft guy. So those are just like two fairly obvious going to be good point guards at the NBA level. Um, that can really organize things and slot everybody down a position. Maybe now you, you're talking, um, but until you find that, it just seems like you have to invest everything you can into finding that. Um, and so that's why I think like maybe packaging some of the younger guys to get a younger player like Ben Simmons or, or something like that. I don't know that I actually want Ben Simmons, but somebody who in theory could be that guy. Um, 
makes a little bit more sense. Probably you're finding that through the draft. Um, but yeah, I kind of think like until you've got that guy, you just don't really have anything. And so, um, you have to find that guy in any way you can. And if that means trading off some guys, um, or if that means kind of really bottoming out and starting over again, that's what you have to do. Otherwise you're on another path from like the low end of, you know, mediocrity to the high end of mediocrity. Um, you know, like the, the eighth to 10th pick in the draft to like a first round out in the playoffs, which is like, nobody wants to be there. Yeah. And at this rate, the bulls are, I mean, they're not even gonna have to try to bottom out. Like we were, we were talking about a few shows ago, but you look around the league and it it feels like the majority of the NBA is trying to be competitive this year. And there really are only maybe like four or five teams who are not trying to be, I mean, of course there will be bad teams as there always are, but just a very small handful of teams are not, don't like seem visibly trying to be competitive on paper. And the bulls are one of them. And I think you would put them in the same group as like maybe the Knicks. Like, I don't even think the Knicks did much roster turnover this year either. They just, they got a new front office, new coach. They didn't really do a whole lot. So I I do feel like at this point, and we we talked about it before with this upcoming schedule that looks brutal with uh, Washington coming up, Milwaukee, Dallas, Portland, Sacramento, West Coast swing with the Lakers and Clippers, and then Boston, OKC, Dallas. I I don't know how many wins they're going to have by the end of January. It could be two or three at this point. (laughs) And that's really scary to think about that they could end up like, what, three and 17 maybe at best. I I don't know. But it. And that's trying like (laughs) that's not trying to tank. That's like trying to win games. Yeah, it's this first uh, stretch is like an absolute gauntlet and um. I think there's a really good chance that they get smacked around quite a lot. And then, okay, fine. Like maybe you're three and 17 or two and 18 or whatever after the first month plus of the season. And you decide, okay, we're obviously like not going anywhere. Let's trade some of these guys off. Um, that's fine with me. I think the, the flattened lottery odds make it so that teams are going to try a little bit harder because they still have potential to move up. Um, but for the bulls, I think it's more about like, how far do you want to fall in the draft? So if they have the number one chance at the, the number one pick, um, the worst they could get is the fourth pick. And if you have the second lottery odd, then the worst you can do is fifth. So it's, it moves back and back. Um, and you know, in a draft with like five guys that could look like, uh, future stars, you really want to like set yourself up for success there. So, um, you're right. Not a lot of teams are really going to try to bottom out. I think like even the, the Cavs and the Hornets and, um, I don't know who, who are some of the other teams like the Pistons are, are, are trying obviously with some of the moves that they made, even though they may not be very good. Um, like is Cleveland trying? I don't, I don't know. I mean, they, they have Cleveland's Andre Drummond. playing all right. Yeah. They're playing. Okay. They're, yeah. I think they're three and oh, <laughs> yeah. um, but yeah, I mean, who knows like how long that will last. Uh, schedule plays a lot into that. But my point is like, you're right. They, they kind of do have an opportunity here. I think it would be great to get another pick somehow and just like stack up on assets here. Um, but it does really suck to just go through an entire season knowing you're trying to lose games, uh, even though it's probably best long-term best thing for the long-term. Mm. Yeah. I think the frustration is 
that they've been bad for the last so many years that like I, I came into the season thinking like, you know, AK and, and Eversley should not be on the Garpacks timeline. You know, they, this is a brand new, you know, team essentially like they have to, they have to do what's best for them. And I don't think they should try to make any type of moves to add guys that just gets them into like the eight seed or that, or even like that 10 or nine spot. Um, and then you kind of pigeonhole yourself to a roster that's not really that good and doesn't have much, you know, arrow pointing up after the fact. Yeah. And I think that's really what this first part of the season is going to be about. Um, as somebody who watched way too many bulls games over the past three or so years, um, <laughs> I felt like I had a pretty good idea about how good these players were. Yeah. Um, and I think like, if you are doing your job as an NBA you know, president of basketball operations, then you should probably also know that. Um, or maybe you're just less cynical than I am. I'm not sure. Uh, but that's what the first part of the season is going to be about is, um, trying to identify which of these players, if any, you want to keep. Um, and if not what you think is good value in a trade, um, because yeah, they're, they've, they're on a new timeline now. Like you said, um, you're spot on, like they, they just have to like, be patient, ask for patience from the fans and understand that like, you can't like Garpax got fired for a reason, right? Like they, this core was not doing it and they weren't turning it around anytime fast. So like, if it means stripping down some of the pieces that you already had building up, so be it. And I think that's probably what's going to end up happening. I saw a post from you on, or not a post. I saw a tweet from you maybe last week. I can't remember. And uh, I, I don't know how, like, serious you were with it. Like, I know a lot of people just throw around, like, trade scenarios just kind of for shits and giggles sometimes with maybe a little bit of truth, like, embedded into it. But it was, uh, it was Andrew, it was like an Andrew Wiggins for Zach Levine deal, and it had, like, picks involved. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I knew this was going to come up. Um, this is the whole reason why you guys wanted me to come on the pod, isn't it? Absolutely. See, um, you just had to drag it out a little bit so you you know, you know didn't get suspicious. We get more We get more Bulls Twitter angry at you. No. <laughs> <laughs> exactly what I need. Yeah. I'm trying to scroll back and see it. Yeah, so it was Wiggins and the Minnesota pick, uh, which is top three protected. Uh, Minnesota pick that is owed to the Warriors for Sato and Zach Levine. I think there are probably like some variations on this, like depending on which side thinks they are giving up more. But the general like point of this is that the Bulls, now that like Anthony Davis and Giannis and LeBron and Paul George and whoever else have signed their extensions, um, even if they hadn't signed their extensions, none of them were coming to Chicago, but they have. And so now there's nobody to spend that money on except for like Lowry Markinen and other potential restricted free agents. There's Kawhi. I'm, I'm kidding. There's, there's always Kawhi <laughs> who I'm sure would love to come play with uh, this team who just, you know, lost its third straight game. Um, but so my point is like, you can take on some bad money to get on another pick. Right. I think you've seen other teams like the, um, the Thunder do that with Al Horford. They got a pick for taking on his Albatross contract. Um, and I think that's what smart GMs do when they know that they're in a position of power in terms of they have cap space um, and other teams need to free themselves up. So I think that is how the 
bulls should be utilizing that cap space. Um, obviously this Minnesota pick is going to be really high. It's top three protected, but, um, despite the two and O start to the season, I think the wolves are just not very good and are probably going to be in the like four to eight range of the draft. Um, they obviously had the number one pick last year. Uh, you can say whatever you want about Anthony Edwards that I don't think he's like going to make them contenders this year. I don't think Kat and D'Angelo work super well together. Um, so I think they're going to be bad. And I think it's worth it for me to put Zach Levine, uh, to swap Zach Levine and Sato over there. Uh, Madge's contracts perfectly. Um, the Warriors obviously need some help scoring. Kelly Oubre, I tweeted, is 0 for 17 on the season uh, on, on threes so far. So that's just sad. Uh, Wiggins is is really bad, and they should look to get off of his contract and, and be willing to attach that pick to do it. Um, and Sato's been really good. I think he's like... he. Any contender can use him. I think he defends multiple positions. He organizes things. Um, I think losing him would make the Bulls worse, um, improving their own pick, and then also adding a potential top five to seven pick in the draft uh, in a loaded draft like this one is kind of a no-brainer. Like You're not going anywhere with Zach. You may as well get something for him, and I think this is kind of a bounty, um, even though you're stuck with the Wiggins contract. Yeah. Um, that's kind of the price you pay. Yeah, that's the only downside because yeah. – I. Me personally, like, and and I've been saying this throughout the offseason when people have been just, like, crapping on Sadoransky, but I still like Sadoransky. I just think the problem is that the Bulls are bad, and a player like him doesn't really make sense for his roster if they can't really compete because he's a complementary player when you already have your good players established. If you put him on a team like a Dallas or a Golden, well, I don't know if Golden State's not really good, but if you put him on a team like Dallas or, like, Portland, for example, just just a team that has their guys, he's going to fit well because then he doesn't have to worry about scoring. He can just take open shots, get people into the offense, and do the small things that he was signed to do. And that just doesn't work here because when he has the ball and players aren't doing anything, everyone's like, okay, Sadoransky score 16 or 18, and that's just not his game. But uh, overall, like I, I like the the uh the Wiggins Levine uh trade proposal I, I I know people might like shit on me for that but I I like the idea of it and just in the sense of and, and that's why I brought it up just in the sense of the Bulls with this free agent class gone do need to look at some ideas of getting creative with their cap space taking on a bad contract maybe getting some picks maybe a reclamation rookie like a uh like Orlando did with Markel Folds or something like that just find ways to just to, to get some young assets in. So. Yeah, you got to win on the margins. That's what it's yeah. all about. Um, yeah. Like any scout you talk to, any like lower level front office exec is always saying like, yeah, we're watching summer league games. We're watching like, you know, D3 college games because you have to try to identify talent and, and like cultivate that talent in any way that you can. Um, and I think the Bulls do have some talented players. Um, like you said, I think the the fit and like the packing order just doesn't work here because there isn't one really good player. Um, I thought it was really funny that Warriors fans were like upset about that trade because it's like you guys just lost by forty in back to back games, and <laughs> you're talking about you don't need store you don't need scoring. Like, okay, um, I think like if you watch Steph at all tonight, like he needs somebody that can take the pressure off of him because three or four guys are guarding him on every possession, and Ubre and Wiggins and like Eric Pascal are just like brick and open threes. So um, I think he would help the Warriors a lot. I'm not sure the Warriors think that they're good enough to compete 
at this point and they may not want to uh trade that pick but mm. the other thing is like what other contender like ideally zach is going to a contender right like he's going to be the the third option on like a good team right yeah you would have like dallas yeah yeah but like what what team like dallas or like the lakers or some some team like that what pick do they have that's going to compete with that minnesota pick yeah it's it's going to be like a mid mid to late 20s pick and yeah exactly should be um going after something a little higher than that and i think the warriors are like the one team that i think make you could actually like make a deal for zach where it where it's just like a one pick for zach kind of proposition um, and the Bulls are going to have to make some sacrifices in that trade, and so with the Warriors. But that's just in theory. Like I said, you know, I just think they have to they have to start thinking about the longer term future here. And because like Zach may not resign after next season, and then what? Then what have you done? Oh, I think that's a. I don't think he's going to be a long term piece here because he's he, he's on a value deal, and even though people want to say that Zach is like negative uh, value because he's not a great defender, whatever, whatever, he's still underpaid for what he is. Like he's what he's making what like 19 million. And then like, didn't uh, like Fultz just get like 18 million or something like that. Like we just saw a bunch of like different players get like 18, 17 million. Levine can get 20 something million per year in free agency for sure. I, yeah. I, I think it's more about like, what do the like Fultz, for example, like the Magic are not bringing in any free agents. They have a guy; mm. they need to spend some money. Like they want to establish him as a piece of the future. So you kind of have to overpay. Um, with a guy like Zach, who I think really could be a talented like off-ball guy on a good team, um, I could see more teams being like willing to pay up for him. Um, and a lot of teams have money coming up this year and next. Um, given that they're given their aspirations for Giannis and Kawhi and all that. So um, there could be some trades to be had. And I think, like I said, the bulls have to make use of what they have right now. And cap space is an asset of theirs. So they, they should be looking to use that cap space to bring on picks. Yeah. I look at this roster and, and not an apples and apples comparison, but kind of like when the, the baby bulls with like the Curry Chandler, um, Jamal Crawford teams, where we had pieces that's like a Jamal Crawford at the time thought, you know, he could be like the best player on the team or whatever. And he wanted to be like the high usage, high volume guy. But all of a sudden you trade him, he goes, bounces on a little bit, but then he finds his niche in this league. And and when he goes to teams that have more talent, he figures like, okay, this is who I am. And this is how I can compete and or fit into it and, and on a team and playing off of a guy like, uh, Chris Paul or whatever, when, when he was with the Clippers, for example, um, that's what I kind of see Zach as is like, yeah, he on the bulls, he's not willing to be, take a step uh, backseat to anyone, but if you trade him and he kind of goes to a team that already has those established guys, I think you'll probably see him play well. And, and you'll probably see some of these players like, you know, Tyson Chandler when he went to a different team that, um, that wasn't where he wasn't one of the be- like the, one of the top two guys. He fit in his he found his role. So you probably find the same with a guy like Larry or Wendell too, where they're not the top two guys, but they come in and they can still be very good, productive, long term you know pieces in the league. And I think people have like a weird fear about that too, right? Like uh, we can't trade Lowry because he like is going to be really good if we trade him, 
but it's like, he's not going to be good if you keep him. So you may as well get something back. Like you're just wasting him away. You're wasting your own time. Um, just doesn't really make sense to like think about things that way. And I think if you don't think your next good team is going to have Kobe or Wendell or Lowry or Zach, or even Patrick Williams to a certain extent, if you don't think any of them will be on that good team, then why, why not trade something, and get something back for them? Yeah. Um, and I think, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was finished. Yeah. And I was going to say, uh, people also kind of look at the anomalies like Jimmy Butler, who, you know, really broke out. It's, oh, look, if, if Jimmy did it. So obviously, why can't one of these guys? And and when when a guy like Lowry, I think it's to me, it's it's already obvious that like, I think he can still probably still be a pretty good player, but I'll be pretty surprised if he becomes like a star star in this league. You know, I, I would be pretty surprised if that happens. I mean, at this point, I think you kind of figure out in their first couple of seasons how good like their ceilings truly are. So, in in that scenario, I would I would move Larry and get like you said, get something for him because clearly, if you're not going to keep him long term, I don't. And again, we talk about that sunk cost. Like, let's say he gets into free agency, a team like Orlando, obviously not Orlando itself, but in that same mold that. It's a small market that has a bunch of cap space. Like, you know what? Let's just go offer him the max. I mean, I'm not matching that. Yeah, I wouldn't. Um, And I think, yeah, what you said about Jimmy really is another important note. And also like what I said earlier about just like watching any other team, you know, it's like you see young players on the court together and like, you just get a little bit more sense that they have some potential there, whether or not that's like resulting in wins. I just like, I don't see it enough with some of these guys um, to make it feel like it's worth, okay, maybe just like one more year, one more contract. Um, I would be hesitant to pay Lowry a lot right now. Obviously he hasn't earned it. Um, And if you're talking about the, the Jimmy Butler, like prove it year thing, I mean, that guy's like the anomaly of all anomalies. Exactly. Like, yeah. There, there exactly. aren't, there aren't players like that. He is the exception that makes the rule. Um, I was thinking about this today actually, and wondering like how many players have like really struggled through the first three seasons and then turned into like all-star caliber players or yeah. even like good starters. Yeah. Uh, and I, I just don't know. Yeah. I mean, Jimmy didn't necessarily struggle. He just didn't show that potential. I mean, he was a Juco player you know, wasn't even recruited by any team. He like, he like, you know, faxed his acceptance to Marquette from like, like a Kinko's or something. I don't know, you know? So he, nobody saw Jimmy becoming this guy. He's like, he's trying to say he's an anomaly. It's something to a guy that just comes out of nowhere. One summer he decides, you know, I'm going to go into the woods, you know, away from everyone and just work on my game. Austin comes back and it's like this 20 point score and shows these handles that he didn't really have before. So it's just like, it's just like one of those weird things. But I think for like, like, yeah, it's, you, you can tell it when a guy has it or not in the, like the first three years. And if he doesn't have that, it, it's likely he's not going to get there. Yeah. And I think also the contrast between Jimmy and Lowry is that like, the, the kind of player that Jimmy was a big wing who like developed, like you said, some, some ball handling and shot creation and playmaking uh, who doesn't turn the ball over. Like that is the number one, most important type of player that you could have in this game, right? Like you're Luka yeah. Doncic's 
your LeBron James, your Kawhi Leonard. Like those are the kind of players that run an offense and that you can run an offense through. Um, Lowry is like pretty much a stretch four right now. And those guys are like nice, but like not $20 million a year. Nice. And frankly, like you don't even really need them. You can make do without them. Um, and the, the future of the power forward position is not a stretch four. It's somebody actually more like Jimmy or more like Patrick Williams, who if we want to spend some time talking about something that isn't going to depress all the listeners, like that's a great place to start because he looks really good. And he looks like the true, like future of the power forward position, both for the bulls, obviously, and also just for the league in general. Yeah. When you, when you look at like in this league and that type of player, whether they're stars or not stars, they have that ability where they can be three or four, they're two way players. They can stretch out to the three, you know, they can, they're really good on the help side defense, stuff like that. Those, those are the, those are more of the archetype of the, of the modern forward. And it's not, it isn't Larry. It's Larry. Larry is more of a modern five, but unfortunately he, he's not a rim protector. Like you look at a guy like Kristaps, he's the modern five. And that's what you want to see a guy that can protect the rim. He's a pretty good defender and he can stretch out the floor and he can he plays off well. He's not a guy that needs a ball, so he plays off well off the ball as well. Yeah, I just I struggle to place Lowry in a defense. Like you said, he doesn't protect the rim. He doesn't defend the perimeter. Uh, he's not like an aware enough help side defender to really like direct traffic. Um, so I just like I don't know where you put him if he's not giving you like elite elite shooting and um, the ability to like break guys down off the dribble. I just don't know that he has the potential to give you positive value. Um, Wendell, I'm still like holding out some hope for obviously tonight was great to see. And I think we're talking about like player archetypes. I think he is more along the lines of something that you want as a center, um, depending on his willingness and, uh, kind of ability to actually make threes. Um, but the passing ideally gets there. Uh, I think he's a really good help side rim protector. Um, and once the bulls figure out their drop cover scheme scheme, I think he'll start to look a little bit better. So I'm holding out hope for him, but um, yeah, he at least like makes sense to me as, as the type of player who could be good on a decent team. Both of you in, have kind of like touched on it, but it, it's just always important to keep noting that these fears of players becoming good somewhere else. I mean, it, it could happen. I mean, Hey, campaign is doing it in Phoenix. Right. So, I mean, and we let him go. So I don't know, but <laughs> I mean, that's next, but, uh, they can have him. <laughs> <laughs> he's figured it out. Like he's, he's the next Jimmy Butler, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just look at this roster now. And while there may be players that we like, and we're fans of, I hope it looks different. We want it to look different four or five years from now when this Bulls team is actually good again. Most of these players are probably not going to be here. And that's completely fine because Karnishevis was not brought here to win with the team that was here when he uh, signed up for the job. He's here to transform it into something completely different. And we got a long way to go. And uh, like you, I'm still holding out hope that Wendell Carter Jr. is a part of that because I believe in the skill that he has. And I don't think that skill just vanished overnight. I I think that's still there. And I I really do think it's just a matter of him getting like 
getting confident, being comfortable, and, and as Billy Donovan said, working on your game and not internalizing issues anymore. And we saw some of that tonight, and I hope to see more of it. I hope I hope he keeps shooting. Yeah, I think we need to be okay with like productive failure failure with Wendell because, like I said, um, his style of player is at least like you can you can understand why that would be valuable. Um, I think with Lowry, it's more about just like makes and misses, right? And if he starts like all of a sudden shooting like fifty percent from three over the rest of the season. I mean, that would be awesome, but like he's been a 35% shooter for three years. So I'm not sure that I really like, don't believe that's who he is. Mm. Um, I don't know. I think if you guys both kind of said it, like if, if any of these guys end up being like something that Karnaschewicz wants longer term, I think that's just a win. That's house money. Like you said, Um, otherwise he's got to like start evaluating and making moves and that's that goes back to like why it's just so crazy to me that he hasn't made any moves yet. Um, and I'm not going to like freak out about it or like hold it against him because I do think it's fair to like take your time and like not rush anything. But it's very clear to me that none of these guys are what the Bulls should be building around. And so why waste any more time like looking at them if we already know they're not good? Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Will, man. Thank you so much for coming back to Bulls Gold and helping us break down this Warriors loss and the first three games of the season. Really enjoyed it. Can you let our listeners know where they can follow you on social media and tell our listeners what you're working on right now? Yeah, I wish I wasn't so negative on this. I sound like such a downer, but uh, <laughs> I, I am really, I'm really excited about Patrick Williams. <laughs> I think he's going to be very good. Um, I think they're like the air was pointing up. They have the right infrastructure now. I believe in Karnaschewicz until he does something that really roasts me the wrong way. I think Donovan's like light years ahead of Jim Boylan as a coach. So hopefully like they'll at least start to turn things around a little bit to where they can start trading some of these guys for positive assets. Um, and we start to see the gears of change move a little bit more. Um, then we'll all be a little bit happier, but, uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at won't Gottlieb. Um, I started a Patreon recently, which is all free um, just to kind of like get some thoughts out there because I haven't really been writing about the bulls as much. Um, and for other listeners uh, for Apple iPhone users, if you want to come check out the locker room app, that's where I'm working these days. Um, you can come have live conversations, uh, listen to live podcasts and, you know, chat with other sports fans um, in real time. So check that out. Um, but yeah, I really appreciate you guys having me on and hopefully next time we talk, it'll be under a little bit happier terms. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. I mean, it, it's, we, we always try to keep it balanced on here and not to get too low, but it, it is tough. Like right after <laughs> what just happened and then the two games before that, it's just, man, it, it is tough to find like some real positivity about this. But I, like you, I remain upbeat that Karnishevis is the right guy for this job and that he's going to make meaningful change and that it will come. We just got to be patient and, and wait for it. So we'll see what happens with that long term. And we'll see uh, if the Bulls can actually win uh, more than three games by the end of January. I don't know, but we'll see about that. Uh, Salim, you got any final thoughts before we head out? 
Yeah, just like, you know, we don't want to be down, but it's kind of frustrating, especially yeah. we're, we are recording right after a, a tough loss that yeah. I thought the Bulls were going to actually pull out. And, you know, you kind of lose that a buzzer beater to um, look like, and I, I was rewatching that play too. I mean, I look like the Bulls defended it fairly well. I didn't, not sure how much better they could have done. Um, but yeah, it's just one of those situations that, Hopefully we do see some positivity and yeah, hopefully we'll have Will on again sooner than later. And then hopefully it is a more uh, brighter conversation than we did have today. Yeah, absolutely. So that wraps up this edition of Bulls Gold. As always, you can check out past shows wherever you get your podcast, Spotify, Apple, Podbean, also drop by on iTunes to give us a five-star rating, review us, let us know how you feel about the show and follow us on Twitter at Bulls Gold. And we'll be back on Nothing But Net Radio, part of Dash Radio every Tuesday morning, 9, 8 central. So for Sleem Sudawala, I'm Edward Schuler. We will catch you next week, Bulls fans. Peace.